What a week. Yes. What a fortnight. What a what a spell. What a month. And again, we did the same thing. We just didn't do a show for a bit because, you know, life was busy. Uh-huh. And then everything happened. His history happened. Lettuces survived. Yeah, however, neither of us went to London. That is so true. Monarchy lives on. Small changes. We're taking steps. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a busy spell, but the highlight for me was you actually came to see where I record this podcast. Oh yeah, I've I've witnessed the uh, the creation area, and we're shocked by how far away my microphone is from the desk. No, we were shocked how close it was. Yeah, right. But if I'm wanting to shout, like you still can't quite hear me because this is so soundproof. Yeah, you just you've got such a good setup that I envisioned that you had to walk much further. <laughs> to get from microphone to desk, but it turns out it's like a couple of feet away. No, right, fine. Anyway, you were here, uh, yeah, and uh, you saw where the magic happens. Yes, all kinds of magic. Talking of magic, this week in the UK has been so yes the opposite that of, yeah it has driven us to drink. Well, so I have a can mm. of neck oil. Which is beaver time. Oh, I like neck oil. Very tasty. Neck oil's good. So yeah. I'm gonna crack it open. Oh. There we go. Beautiful. I already cracked and poured. That was fantastic. Did you enjoy that? See this? I already <laughs> cracked and poured. I'm sorry. Do you have a glass? Yeah. Sorry, what have you got? So I actually don't even remember what it is. Something cheap. Hey, nice. We like cheap. You know what? Something cheap that I just pulled out of my brand new fridge that is not actually brand new, but is brand new to my life. Nice. As of today. Great. Well, congrats. We'll head him to the old one. The delivery guy dropped it on his hand on the way in oh. and had to take a 10-minute break. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> what was it? What, how did he manage that? Uh, he dropped it on his hand? Well, I don't know. Like, it was a, it's a big fridge. I bought I bought the biggest fridge that could fit through the doors of my flat. And, and it's was, brand new? Not new. It's, it's like a refurb, so I got it pretty cheap compared to... Nice. Most other fridges, but all the functions are fine. It's just dented on the outside. And I'm like, all right, well, that means that That's okay. the first time I scuff it up myself, I'm not going to care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's just, it was very large. I had measured my doors and stuff to make sure it could fit through. So I knew for a fact it could, it fit. could yep. fit. Smart. And then they just kind of, mm-hmm. on their first attempt, had the fridge oriented wrong. Bonked it. So they had it going in <laughs> with the wider orientation and then it got hit on a door a door handle great and then dropped and i was like you should turn it on its side and they were like oh <laughs> oh yeah we should <laughs> but me being too polite to try to like know the right time to intervene i knew they were doing it wrong as soon as they started i was like right but i shouldn't tell them that but you kept quiet because it's not your job it's theirs even if they're doing it wrong exactly it's their job to move the things so i don't i didn't want to be like hey you should do that sideways just in case they were right and it would fit uh-huh. another way but it wouldn't it didn't and he dropped <laughs> it and he hurt himself and now i feel bad so i was like i was trying to be like polite and not interfere with their work you could have prevented that but man. i could have prevented a minor injury oh well Fortunately, it didn't start bruising, so I think it was just like a pinch. It was it was like one well, of those maybe, injuries, just like a... Or it, he broke his finger and it just hasn't... Or he dislocated something. I broke my finger and didn't really know it was fully broken for several weeks. Hey, nice. Well... Not today. Okay, okay. Good, that's a reassurance. I know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm properly in the middle class there. My fridge is so big I can barely reach the top. Amazing. 
I've established myself as someone who occasionally has income that I can expend. So my old fridge died. I was like, I'm going to treat myself. Well, clearly, as we talked about recently, when you were kind of humming and hawing over, I don't know if I'm going to have the money to pay tax. If you're able to buy fridge, then this drug mule business is paying off. Exactly. Yeah. All the other in the incomes that I have taken up since we had that yep, discussion. Only fans they, too. they funded me the emergency funds for exactly one fridge and no more. <laughs> so I've got to now reestablish my emergency funds. Just build them back up to a few hundred. Oh, well, see, I still have, I was as I was saying to my barber about half an hour ago, I still have my self-assessed tax to pay from last year. Yeah. Which yeah, is comfortably yeah, yeah. a £1,000. And Ooh, look at you. I think I have enough put aside without having to go into my savings. I've got like a separate, like a like an offshore account, let's call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. PayPal. I put the money in there and it sits there and I really, really, really try hard not to use it unless, of course, yes. I, I've got four gigs in the space of seven days and I want to buy all the expensive merch, which is yeah. what's happening right now. I feel and it. And then I go into my Cayman account. I had to use all of that for last year's taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Cayman Islands. No, I, I did. I made sure I got enough to make the government happy right. before I purchased a fridge. If I didn't have to make the government happy, of course, I would have lived off cupboard food for the next nice. year, I guess. Yep. <laughs> but no. Can you claim a fridge on expenses? I'm going to ask Google that. Hmm, you know what? No. Um, I'm pretty sure I cannot. No, you're right. It's not a business thing. Unless you were in the business of selling if, fridges. If I installed it in, in my office room, I could claim the power costs, some of mm-hmm. it. Yep. Like one third of the power costs. Correct. <laughs> but that's not much. I bought the most efficient fridge I could find, which isn't very efficient. They're all very inefficient. Do you know what, what? what's really annoying? And I'm saying this as an annoyance to myself. I've bought this flat two years ago. And by the way, I am still attempting to remortgage this. Right. Uh, and the solicitors are useless. It will happen. Stay away from McVeigh and Murica. They're awful. Anyway, that's beside the point. All of them are bad. I... Solicitors. If you, any solicitors are listening, <laughs> you'll suck. Step up. Absolutely. Improve your game. So I bought this flat over two years ago, and uh, the the mortgage payments are about to go up very steeply because they are so useless yes. and have failed to get Thank the right government. paperwork there in time. Yes. The previous owners left me two things, the couch and the fridge. Now, the couch was mm-hmm. perfectly fine. I believe they were just put off by it because their young daughter had put pen all over it. All it needed oh. was a thorough clean, and we cleaned it over the space of like a couple of days, Perfectly, a little, a little scrub. perfect L-shaped couch. Love it. However, that thing looked like you bought it. I realized pretty soon after moving in that the fridge was goosed. It, do you know every so often your fridge makes a noise to, you know, churn the motor and make sure it's back to a residual, like, one degree? Right, yeah, yeah. It's getting them, My fridge getting makes that noise constantly. Pumped. Oh, it's, it's, one of the, it's the always-on fridge, yeah. It's always, always on, but it's always on to the extent that mine freezes up unless I turn it off every so often. Huh. So every so often, I have to turn off my fridge. Sounds like you got an icing problem. Right. Sounds like you got too much ice in the in the at the thermostat or whatever. And basically, whenever when I moved in, I saw the fridge and it was it was pretty dented. It was artificially scuffed. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, it makes that noise all the time. I have to turn it off every so often. Right. I'm gonna buy a new fridge. And here we are, two years later. With the same fridge. You know, mine was dying for about four years before I had bought the new one. So <laughs> Okay, I feel better. Yeah, I, I'm not going to judge you there. My, mine was, was on the always-on stage for several years. Nice. I, I tried the whole empty it out, turn it off for a day, let it all, let, let it all reset yep. back on, and it was just like, nah, <laughs> I need to be always on again. So I just left it, and then eventually I decided we've really got to, mm. I've got to get, get this sorted. 
And you know what? It died yesterday. Hey. The day before it, the delivery, which isn't great because there was things in the freezer. <laughs> but <laughs> I really was pushing it close. It just turned off. I went down to check it in the morning and there was just, it wasn't on. I was like, oh no. Nothing. <laughs> oh no. I couldn't make it. The end. It wouldn't go always on anymore. It would go on for like uh, two seconds and then it would turn off again. Oh gosh. Uh, oh well. Yeah. But we made it. RIP freezer. And now it's your turn. New fridge. And well, event maybe, maybe not, I guess. Depends your future plans. <laughs> and, and the fridge then, the, the one you had, clearly lasted several prime ministers. I know, I was going to say this, like, everyone's fridges right now, everyone's had a fridge for more than, like, a decade, like, my, mine, uh-huh. it must have the record-breaking prime minister lifespans. We can no longer measure our fridge our fridge lives by prime minister, because it used to be somewhat consistent, and then suddenly, the, the, the duration of prime ministership is completely meaningless. Well, no, this does sound like a joke, but there are a whole... I mean, the whole uh, Liz Trust trust term was a joke, but there are many jokes to be made. This one is more of a serious comment. Yeah. <laughs> I have stuff in my fridge yeah. which has absolutely oh, yeah. lasted longer in there than yep. Liz Trust did as Prime Minister. But yeah, I got some veggies in there that are still looking all right, that were definitely there more than a month ago. I have some vegan cheese. Two months ago. Which is absolutely like a summertime purchase and is still there. The, this is the, this is like, it's, it's funny and it's horrible at the same time. We are, we are in the decline of the nation to a really solid, I'm sure we'll get into that though. Oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll really dig in to the decline of the nation any minute there. We've talked uh, and it was at the height of, you know, lockdown parties and breaking right. the rules yeah, and yeah. Tory sleaze. We talked about, you know, can it get any worse? And dear listener, the answer is yes. Mm. Yes, it can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even more so when, you know, it's like when you found out you could catch COVID more than once. You see the news that Boris Johnson is one of the favourites to be reinstated as Prime Minister. <laughs> How are we in this place? I saw a post, a comment somewhere that was like, that's kind of like putting the turd back in your. <laughs> <laughs> that and I feel like it's kind of apt. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. After several Stop. years of, of of constipation trying to get Boris out, we're like, <sighs> right, put Boris right back in there. Okay, before we before we get into that, yeah, welcome to Cease Operate episode. Feel free to delete that. Feel free to bleep it. Give people a chance to flex their imaginations. <laughs> I will. Episode two nine seven with your hosts, beleaguered, beerified hosts, Colin and James. Ooh. Beer, beerified indeed. And I am Colin and he is James. Wow, that was a real good one. You know, I was I was playing on the fact that the, the beer is impacting my delivery oh, already. Oh, we're three, we're three deep. Mm. Yes. 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 It's been a while since I've had a drink whilst doing the podcast. Yeah, I feel like of any recording, actually, no, the, the Queen died recently. We should have had a drink then in honour of the Queen. Um, should have poured one out for Liz. Exactly. We're now pouring one out for the Conservative Party. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Very much to appreciate it. You can get in touch with us at Parade on Twitter, Parade at gmail.com. James, we did have some pushback to your assertion that car manufacturers oh. have tricked everybody to, right. or convinced everybody that they all need cars. Right. And I wanted to give you a time to respond to those people. Oh, there was pushback? Oh, for sure. Like People being like, that's that's not true. I need a car, for example, if I finish my right. my gig at 1.30 in the morning in yeah, Gearlock. Because they, because, they, because, they because they tricked you. But th- th- realistically, at 1.30am on a Tuesday morning in Gearlock, yeah. you are 
unable to have that public transport for everybody every single moment when they need it Be- in this country. It's just impossible. It's because we, it, it is not impossible. It is. It is an impo- it isn't impossible. It is. No, 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 no. No, no, Logistically, no, no. Single, financially. Even if even if you want to tie cars into a public transport system, we could have publicly owned, 24-hour available right. cars <laughs> for people to have. Which is which it has existed here and there. We, we can have it with drivers, you can have it without drivers, just access to cars. Cars that get delivered to you because you pre-book them because you know you've got a gig in the morning, but you're not going to use a car for the rest of the week, you know? These are all things that could have been done publicly owned, but they would have produced fewer cars. The, the, the private ownership of car is the most efficient thing for car manufacturer profits. Okay, yeah. Everything else, we didn't even get a chance to experiment with, right? Imagine if 50 years ago, a bunch of clothing manufacturers decreed that turtlenecks must be used for you to have a job. And then and then everybody actually bought into it. And everybody wore turtlenecks to every job, even the self-employed. Mm-hmm. And then now, somebody on a podcast, let's say anti-turtleneck podcast, uh, comes out and says, the turtleneck manufacturers tricked you a long time ago, and now you're fooled into thinking you need a turtleneck. A good argument against that is not saying, yeah, but I need a turtleneck for my job. Right? So me saying that cars are not freedom for the individual because there is so many publicly owned options, which can include cars. And I'm, I'm, I push back against that as not yet, but I need my car. I would challenge the analogy, though. I would say, for example, the idea that, you know, five a day, five a day is something which was has long been established as a, a thing of, oh, you, you need to have your five a day. I don't know where that came from. And I'm pretty sure that some people have... Uh, pushed back against it, or researchers being like, eh, five was just an arbitrary number. and But even to the extent that I have to sometimes uh, th- have a think just before I have my dinner to think, have I had my five a day? Right. That, to me, is a sign of, maybe not trickery is the right word, but certainly it's been drilled into me <laughs> that right. I need to have five fruit and veg a day. It's not been drilled into me that I need a car. I need a car for my job. I don't want a car. I don't want to have one. But it's not like I've been tricked into to buying one. I need it. What would you do if you didn't have a car? What would you do for your work? What do you mean? If you just didn't have a car, how would your work day Well, go? I would have to spend time getting, let's say, two buses to my work okay. rather than just driving there okay. or cycling there. All right. Okay. So you don't need a car. But I do. But it's convenient. For convenience, for efficiency, for getting to all the places that I work. Right. So imagine if instead of everybody wasting all their money on individually housed cars, which is really inefficient and a horrible means of transportation by any measure, worse than bikes... We actually just had publicly invested for a hundred odd years now into good infrastructure for all the forms of traffic, including bikes, where you have Uh much better roads that are more efficiently used. You've got far more buses, far more trains, far more systems of any kind in any area that's needed. And it's all publicly owned and it's all operated as efficiently as we can um, so that in the rural area, areas, it's made possible because of the overuse in in uh, urban areas, and it wouldn't even it would be less costly to us as a nation than individually owned cars. We'd just be spending our money in taxes rather than on uh, hiked up amounts of uh, car bills, insurance, those taxes, the fuel, all of those things that are just pushed on us 
not by like you being told every day to eat your five cars a day, but by the system that has oppressed us into feeling like we need to be able to drive to get places because it was an easy way for car manufacturers to make money and for public transport to be like footed off the tax and just forgotten about by all the governments who are too lazy to do it well. They're just like, yeah, but we can just tell everyone to have cars. Who needs to have like a good bus service? Right. Who needs to have like but there are, publicly owned taxi services? As we talked about, there are places in the UK, namely London, but also Edinburgh, where the public transport system is good and it works and people still have cars. That being said, if everything, if everywhere had the same sort of transport system as London, great. But because there are... London's isn't even that great. L- but London's is good in that if you miss a train, if you miss a bus, there's one in five minutes after that. It's it's fine. Like, it's a good public transport system. Generally speaking, it's good. However, you are unable to replicate that across the rest of the country, particularly in rural areas where even up north, if you miss your bus, the next one is in three hours. That's why people have cars, because right. even with a service which is heavily subsidized... That's where, ride, that's where ride share comes in. That's exactly where I talked about it first. You, there's, there's, there's well-established ride share programs here and there that do work. There are other ones that have failed, and all we need to know is why the ones that work work, why the ones that failed failed, because not every individual needs to have a car for every individual to have adequate access to cars. Fair enough. I'm not saying cars shouldn't have been invented. Uh-huh. No, no, no. I'm saying we've been lied to being told that like having a car is the vital part because the only benefit to every person having a car is the car manufacturers get to produce the most cars. Most cars probably don't even get used every day. That just sounds like a waste to me. Okay. That sounds like very inefficient for us and in- and efficient for the people who sold the cars to us. Okay, well, if you have a counterpoint to that, then please do email it to us, ceaseoperate at gmail.com. And we'll read out your counterpoint to James's point there. I know, right? I would, I would love to know what cities or what areas of the world have the lowest dependency on on cars used as an individual means of transport, even if it means that cars are used in a rideshare program or cars are used in other forms. It'll be interesting because I, I am sure there are countries out there who's who have most people traveling on public transport compared to us in the UK, who just have okay. skinny little roads that are filled with cars everywhere that mostly don't get used. Well, more on that as we get it, but let's start the show formally and take the lead from 10 Downing Street because we don't really have a plan for this episode. We're just going to talk and see what happens, hmm. which goes against most of my podcasting principles, but here we are. Prime Minister's gone. So this could be a lesson for everyone. We're going to do our thing in much the same way. Right. Say it with conviction and the audience will believe you. Okay, so this is where we I was trying to do that about the cars thing. I got no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) We'll start with the news that the Prime Minister, Liz Truss, has quit. After 45 <laughs> days, I can't believe it. she is away. This means that she is the shortest reigning British Prime Minister in history <laughs> by around about two and a half months. And as you may have seen on social media, various lettuces yeah, yeah, yeah. lasted longer than she did. Indeed. The key detail is that the previous shortest one was cut off because they died. Sorry, before we get into the uh, the background of all this, the current story, and this is off uh, 10 minutes ago, 
is that Penny Mordaunt has become the first MP oh. to say they'll run to replace Miss Truss as the Prime Minister. Wait, how many supporters does she have? And that is likely to be followed by Rishi Sunak, who is on 82 endorsements so far. He needs 100 to take part. And Boris Johnson, uh, who is yet to rule out a comeback, <laughs> is also considering a run. He's got 41 yeah, MPs backing him. He can't do it. He can't do it. And 19 for Miss Mordaunt. I can't believe it. Let's start with what happened with Liz Truss then. Because yes. when we last spoke, she had been yeah. elected as Prime Minister and announced these huge, yeah. sweeping tax cuts. First of all, millionaires were going to be far better off and uh, people who were the poor people were going to get 1p off their, their tax as well. Right, but trickle-down economics was going to save us. The markets reacted by saying that's an absolutely terrible idea. The pound tanked to its lowest level ever mm-hmm. and uh, various things started collapsing, including the economy. And suddenly... Well, and the career of the Chancellor. Oh, well, that, that, that's what happened next. And that's uh, Kwasi Kwarteng said, <laughs> well, you, you know what? Uh, uh, there's more cuts on the way. And the market said, "This is, are, are you actually serious? And within a week, and particularly a day before he was then sacked by the Prime Minister, Mr. Kwarteng insisted he was going nowhere. He was sticking with his plan. And then... Yeah, he wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, He was gone. And mistrust. He was gone. Chucked him to replace him with Jeremy Hunt. A classic. Being very careful with that name. They are really bringing out the big names. And what he did was he reversed everything and then went further. Yeah. And so suddenly, mistrust's plan for government was up in tatters, and everything that she wanted to do was gone. And in some cases, told by Jeremy Hunt, who for a couple of days seemed like he was the prime minister. Uh, announced that actually they were doing the opposite. And corporation tax, it was back in. And all the other things, they were back in now. And markets have yeah. calmed. It wasn't exactly he was doing the opposite. He was kind of like undoing her doing the opposite of right. what they were already doing. And so here we are after uh, she met with the head of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. Yeah. Announcement was made on Thursday afternoon that she was going to address uh, the the public at Downing Street and she announced that she was leaving. And so a week right. today, but again, we will have a new prime minister, a third prime minister in two months. It was a day after she said she wasn't a quitter. <laughs> I'm a fighter, not a quitter. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing a trend here. Yeah, we also saw yeah. Suella Braverman resign as uh, Home oh, Secretary. Yeah. Good riddance. Did you see the clip in the House of Commons where she blamed... May she never be um, seen again. I think it was Just Stop Oil protesters as tofu-eating Guardian uh, libera- uh, Liberalati. Oh, she was really going for the buzzwords, oh, yeah. It was very sad. But anyway, she's out, she left as well. And that was one of many dominoes which seemed to fall. So, James, with your uh, political analysis glasses on, oh, where no. did it all go wrong? For Miss Truss. <laughs> for Liz Truss? Yeah. When she stopped having opinions of her own and just listened to rich people in fancy places that she went to hang out. You know, she likes to spend her time in rich places yep. with, with with rich people and she listened to them for a long time. And I'm sure lots of them paid for her campaign, including a bunch of oil money, paid for her campaign. So she just kind of like adopted the policies that everybody in the world knows doesn't work, but that rich people keep wanting us to do because it makes them rich in the short term. Mm-hmm. And it, and then it was all wrong because those policies don't make any sense. Not even Joe Biden believes in them. And he's 
as old fashioned as it comes. Uh, I guess I guess the part where it all went wrong was that the conservatives do still care about their party a little bit, and they realize that if they let it stand for a couple of years, they might become the least popular party in UK history, um, and therefore we have to actually get rid of trust, even though we backed her before. And they're trying to blame other people for Truss's existence, like the conservative voter base. MPs are saying that it wasn't on them for bringing Truss in. That, so what the people wanted, it's like, well, but you backed her to the to the vote. A bunch of these people, a bunch of these MPs that are trying to like hide now, I hope, yep. are the reason we had her in the first place. Uh, but no, where it went wrong for her is, 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 is just a completely insane idea for everything she talked about. I don't think she got a thing right, but... It was 44 days. I might have missed a headline or two about the things she was doing well. Well, the one thing she was claiming was the energy price guarantee, which, if you think back, she had initially stated, we did this for two years, yeah. And then Labour said, no, but that's going to bankrupt the government. Let's do it for six months, then revisit it. Yes. And then she got into power and said, you turned, you turned some more, and then said, you know what? Six months. That's all we need it. Yeah. Energy guarantee for six months. Well, yeah, that's what I did. Look at me. Um, yeah, no, she did claim to have rescued us all from a disastrous financial situation, but it's kind of hard to give any conservative the credit for that when they're the ones that made it happen. Yep. Uh, in a lot of ways, the, their reaction to a, a global crisis was just behind almost every other country in the world, and we suffered because of them. So it's kind of hard to be like, oh, well done, trust. Thanks for kind of making the suffering a tiny bit worse, maybe. So I don't know. She didn't seem to get anything right. Um, and as a PM, you have to get at least some things right to keep your career. Um, I don't remember what Boris got right, but no. it must have been something. Well, the difference... He has a career for a while. The difference between the two of them is basically down to charisma. Because Boris and his political decisions and just him generally making choices have always historically been very poor, but he engages with people, people find him entertaining, or that sort of barmy, uh, yeah. Boris style. People love that stuff. Prime ministerial stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that's the difference, I believe, between the two of them, because politically, both of them true seriously inept. She looked like an, a, a, um, an automaton. She looked like she was being run by a robot from the 80s. She can't move, never mind speak. There was also the fact that we briefly touched on this when she was first chosen right which was over the summer when we had the whole like leadership hustings stuff it took so long rishi sunak made the point that if liz truss went for her her decisions or her economic plans to cut tax and to govern like a conservative yeah he said look if, if you do this it's going to go terribly wrong and you're going to ruin the economy and everyone said oh you're just being project fear and then they lost the argument, she got the vote, and here we are. So does that mean that then Rishi is a, is a shoe-in to actually get the, the job? It kind of looks like Rishi would be the safest bet for who gets a job next, because genuinely I think Boris is going to... The, the investigation into his, his uh, party gate stuff is going to be accelerated over the next few days, and he's maybe going to be discouraged right. from actually running, because... The word from the investigation is that Downing Street's own evidence would have been enough to give him big trouble and bar him from leadership. Never mind all the other evidence that was submitted. So I hope that Boris is smart enough to realize that he is probably going to get in big trouble uh, anyway, and he probably shouldn't run for PM. 
because he's getting in trouble soon, hopefully. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and then Rishi will will be the dude, and he'll hopefully just call an an, an election. But he won't. He, he, I know, right? The downfall of trust. I hope is a lesson to the Conservative Party, wherein they have taught the people of the UK. Well, sorry, they have taught Conservative voters in the UK that they don't need to think for the last couple of decades that all the only thing that conservatives have been saying mm-hmm. um to their voter base is calling other things a lie or saying that's not true or project fear or you know all nothing has to be founded with with evidence if they've, they've trained their voter base that it doesn't have to be yeah yeah trust is the result of that her getting to go through the leadership campaign and her response to everything just being like, that's not true. You're not right. Instead of actually having any evidence, mm-hmm. Tories love that. They've trained their their base to love somebody who doesn't actually have anything to stand on and just says, nah, that's not true. Well, well it's... Uh, so hopefully conservatives have learned and then they'll stop telling everybody that things aren't true and start focusing on things that are true. Well, it's because <laughs> she painted this land of milk and honey where all the conservatives out there who earn lots of money would get to keep more of it, yeah, and the poor's would um, right just stay in their box. Wait, but that's what conservatives have been doing for so long. I'm saying, I'm saying, hopefully this has told them to not. But she was, not she do was it. telling people it was going to happen, and Rishi was saying, no, yeah. we, in this current climate, we need to do the opposite, and people. We're just like, no. But it was too late. The Conservatives have taught their voters that you don't need someone like Rishi who tells you what reality is, that that's nonsense, that it's just not true, and it's Project Fear. So Rishi trying to do that, it was never going to work because the Conservatives had had, to- had taught their base how to think so well, and the, con- okay. the Conservative-supporting media had taught them how to think so well. So, so they need to evolve back into a party. I say back into, I don't know if they were ever a party with any standards. Um, back into a party of standards. I don't know when the last time I had standards was, but I don't. I think I don't remember it because I was too young to to actually form memories. Okay, I have some follow up questions. Number one, we're good. Let's talk about Boris. Is there a risk that the Conservative Party, and not that I care, but is there a risk the Conservative <laughs> Party becomes cult of Boris in the same way that we've seen the Republicans in the states become cult of Trump? You know, either you follow yeah. the Trumpian style or you're out. Is that is that something that's going to befall? I think it's, the right on in Britain. Yeah. I think it's still harder to do here because we don't have quite as liberal a news media, shall we say, where they get to make up everything they want without risk of being, you know, fined. Okay. We still have some oversight. A little bit. Where people who are declaring things to be news have to kind of try to tell the truth a little bit. So it's a bit harder for them to to do uh, a Donald Trump. Granted, Fox Media is is very much keen to. Um, we've got GB News mm-hmm. uh, these days kind of doing a very good job of emulating Fox News with some of the things they're saying. Um, I, I did see GB News are touting uh, Farage as like the guy to turn to to fix the Conservative Party, which wow. is also a painful thought. Um, but I, I don't think we can get a Boris, I, as Jacob Rees-Mogg says, I don't think we can get a Boris or bust Conservative Party. I, I think there's still enough just old-fashioned, evil-person Conservatives uh, to 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 repair the party back to old fashioned evil conservative rather than Boris evil corrupt incompetent uh, conservative. There's a slight difference, and I I think I prefer the ones that are just evil over the ones that are evil and also corrupt okay. and also incompetent because they do a little bit less harm. The second point slash question is about Boris actually 
entering himself into the oh, there's a visual image entering the leadership uh, contest. I personally don't think he will because he uh, he is young enough, and I've used my air quotes here. He's young enough the long game to save a second run for way down the line. Because here's the reality: if he went for this leadership contest and he won, which to me, is beyond the pale. But let's say he did. He would then, because of what he's inheriting... he's pulling the best. ...would be entering an election where he would lose. And then he would have the unenviable track record of being Prime Minister twice, the first time he broke the law and had to resign, and the second time he lost the election. And at that point, surely he'd be finished. Game over. So my theory is that Rishi Sunak, or someone else, steps in, they take over the party... They go into a general election. They lose to Labour because Labour have their biggest lead in something like 25 years in the polls. massive. It's going to be horrible watching that evaporate. But let's say Labour win. Then, when the Conservatives uh, are in opposition, that's when Boris swoops back in, takes the Conservatives to the next election, wins power back again because Labour have been attempting to fix the country and Conservatives are like, no, you're failing, we're going to do it. Yeah. Hey, presto, he's Prime Minister again and he's got the mandate. Right. Because everyone wants that mandate. Yeah. It feels like the smartest move for Boris. But the question is, does he have the patience for that? He might not. Well, well, no. He does seem like a massive idiot. And that's why I think his ego yeah. will tell him, you know what, I'm going to enter this leadership contest yeah. again. Now is the war games for him. We kind of talked about that when he was on the way out, that this was just a step in the war games process for him that he would want to be back in as soon as possible. Oh, for sure. So I think that still stands, that he would just, he'd just kind of like to take over right now. And I don't know if he's just got this arrogant belief that he'll fix things enough that the country won't collapse and that the conservatives might survive. But I feel like he will actually put his name up there. Um, especially if he starts getting like any media attention, like asking why he isn't and asking if he's scared or something like that. He's going to, he's going to do the, the manly man thing, the toxic masculinity of, well, I, I'm not a coward. And, and, and again, he is polling the best, which, which sucks. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's why I'm. That's why I ask about is this cult of Boris? Because if he's polling this well after what being out of office for seven weeks, yeah, that's concerning. Yeah, literally, the person polling the best is a lawbreaker. Oh yeah, several times lawbreaker while prime minister. Just one of those times was eventually enough to make him quit, um, and potentially going to be investigated and be in further breaches. Well is getting investigated and to be found in further breaches over the coming days or weeks. Right. So it seems like it would be the craziest thing for him to actually put his name forward. And it feels like even if he did and he won, those investigations are still independent enough that they'd continue and they'd find him in breach of things and then he'd have to quit. Yep. And it would just be another leadership election, I guess, where an increasingly small number of people in the UK are getting to choose who runs the country. Because the way our system works, where the the person in charge actually does choose the cabinet and does kind of like choose this or that thing, and manifestos don't really matter, it turns out. Um, oh yeah, that the the people the conservative voter base turns out is very easy to get into. I saw this on Question Time. Is it? It might have been Question Time. It might be some other show. I saw a clip of it. Okay. Where uh, someone was saying that uh, some media company uh, registered a, a tortoise. 
uh, um, an American and a Ugandan as conservative voters, none of whom nice. could actually be nope. a, like a conservative voter, but they paid the 25 quid or whatever, and they all got accepted, and they'd all be allowed to vote. <laughs> wow. Um, and the conservatives has recently and previously been asked to like show their their registered names and yep. prove that they are all, all allowed to vote, and the conservatives haven't really been able to do that. So... Not only are we getting people voted for by mostly old people who aren't interested in the future, apparently, but also maybe people who are illegally voting for our prime ministers. <laughs> That's just great. What is this party? Gosh. Okay. Well, but but it's, but you're right that the, the like the fear is that it doesn't matter what figurehead gets chosen if it comes to general election, whether it be called now or called or at the, at the normal time, <laughs> the media machine will just ramp back up its. It's conservatives are good and sensible narrative, and everyone will buy it again. Yeah. Oh, the conservatives learned their lessons in the COVID years, and from those lessons, they've come back stronger and more stable than ever. And everybody will be like, "Oh yeah, are they still racist?" And the media will be like, "Oh yeah, they still don't like Im- well, not They're not racist, but they don't like immigrants." Mm. And then everybody will be like, "Oh well, strong, strong and stable, stronger than ever." They they still don't like immigrants. Okay. I hate the Labour Party, yeah, Boris, or who, or whatever figurehead. It will just work, and and that's the big fear: is it doesn't matter how bad they've done, it is in the interest of the people who control the nation, that being the rich, um, and the and their media friends, uh, to keep them in power. And there's just not enough counter protest from other influential people. On the point of the election, as we've talked about, it's the last thing I expect the Tories to do because. Why would you call for an election if you know you're going to lose and you're going to lose your job? So I mean, for me, they're going to wait until the last possible moment right. to call one, even though in the wake of Miss Truss's resignation, everybody called for, for a general election because, well, you, you had to. It's, it is, frankly, undemocratic to have had three prime ministers in the space of two months <laughs> and to avoid it. calling an election. It's just, it's just unfair. Well... They can try to dodge it. I actually think it is in their best interest to get out. I think, I think the Conservative Party why should lose right now because then, I don't think the nation recovers in five years, right? Oh no way! Even under the best prime minister and the best party with the best policies, in five years' time, the UK is still a sad place. That is a, a, a like a, a a really poor reflection of its former self. Just weak and hollow looking and not successful and not on the world stage so the the sooner the conservatives get out the more of that bad times they can blame on the labor party who are the supposed successors of the situation right now and then they'll get back in five years and they'll just blame everything on labor for another decade and then just repeat the process. Conservatives take power, collapse the nation for as long as they can hold on to power for. Labour come in, kind of like stabilise things a little bit, but they don't really make us better. They just kind of stabilise things. And the Conservatives go, Labour Party are letting us down. Look how bad the UK is compared to what it was in the early 2000s when we took over. <laughs> we are great. <laughs> and then it'll just keep cycling. Okay, let's chat briefly about Liz Truss before we move on. What of her? Where does she go... No, other than <laughs> I mean, she, uh, she, moving out. She gets her retirement money. She was prime minister for a very small number of days. And now <laughs> she's getting free money for the rest of her life. So this is the news that if you are prime minister, or if you were prime minister, you are entitled to essentially claim £115,000 a year 
That is a six-figure yeah, salary. Expenses. Legitimate expenses, but we've seen what that is when it comes to MPs. Right. <laughs> to, to claim the sort of expenses which you were expected to have, seeing as you used to be prime minister, so security staff, secretaries, yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff like that. Wallpaper. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is usually, as uh, these figures show, have been claimed in full by the likes of Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, David Cameron, yeah. Theresa May, only taking half. Seems excessive, but yeah. However, right, seeing yeah. as Liz Truss was Prime Minister, she is also technically entitled to this allowance. And mm-hmm. that's kicked up a lot of fuss. People saying that's absolutely ridiculous. That should be uh, avoided for... Uh, Liz, but I suspect it will continue because technically she had the she had the job she for the job. a probationary period. She holds the nation's secrets. She saw a lot of things while in that office that I'm sure would be of great interest to people who might want to pay her around about that much money, if not more. Uh, so you know, hush, buddy, keep her quiet for the rest of her life. If she lives an average human lifespan, she'll get like three billion or something like that. Uh, great. Uh, it's not it's, it's not a lot of money. It's just really annoying to me. The privilege that all of these people get, where they just do something really badly for barely more than a month, and then free money forever. You know that that is that is a very good picture of what it is to be in the ruling class in Britain. It's just free things for doing a bad job. And and as for what she does now, seeing as she's out as prime minister, what what does she do now? Because yeah, will she get public speaking events? I don't think so. No, and mainly because she's a terrible public speaker. But generally, yeah, she's, yeah. but genuinely, does that mean she just goes to the back benches forever and until she gets voted out of her seat? Maybe. Because that's Yeah, probably. Considering what's happened over the last 6 weeks, it is humiliating for her. Yeah, but is it humiliating enough <laughs> to be the shortest prime minister ever and to be outlasted by a lettuce then yes. No, it's still not humiliating enough. She needs to be humiliated more. She won't be. I think she is She is going to receive... Oh, she, what do you mean? She doesn't deserve free money forever. She doesn't even deserve an MP position. She should be removed from the party. She should probably be going to prison for tanking the economy and causing a bunch of people, okay. people to die. But we don't put politicians in prison for their mistakes. That's part of democracy, you know? So it's not humiliating enough, but it is like... It's just. It's, it's reasonable. I can understand why the system works this way. But she does deserve more humiliation. She just, we can't give it to her because otherwise we'd, we would be indecent people. Okay, let's move on. Do we want to predict who's going to be prime minister? you got to say Boris Johnson. You know, it's, it's the Tories. Oh, They're no. idiots. Their voter base, no. completely okay. foolish. You can't, you can't give them credit for things anymore. Not the Tory. Okay. Every, part, every person who voted for trust. Uh, from MP to like the granny down the street who paid 25 quid to join the party 20 years ago. Idiots, <laughs> right? And uh-huh. you're not, I'm being charitable by saying that. It's just evident. And then other people voted for Rishi. Also idiots, just slightly less so. Anybody who believes in the Conservative Party, complete fools. They are just taking you for fools. They know what they're doing and you're letting them do it to you. It's like the car manufacturers all over again. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Just Stop Oil. Now, they have been in the news for several days now because they have been upping their protests and the things they are doing to draw attention to their cause. Today, for example, 
they sprayed orange paint over Harrods in London. Oh, Harrods. Uh, about 20 good. protesters outside their store in Knightsbridge. Uh, some of them glued themselves to the roads. People arrested on suspicion of criminal damage. The main thing they did, though, in the last week was threw tomato soup over Van Gogh's sunflowers. Oh, and this no. went uh, viral. You may have seen uh, footage of that actually happening. And uh, the, the, there was glass over the front of the artwork and the protesters were saying, well, look, fine. it's about highlighting the fact that people are going to die this year because they can't even afford to heat a can of soup. <laughs> so, yeah. And we wanted to draw attention to this rather than, uh, you know, just, just holding a march or a demonstration. Yeah. I mean, it works, right? So <laughs> this, the, it has kicked up a lot of coverage, a lot of people talking about it. I listened to an interview this morning with somebody from the organisation and they were saying... The video itself of the tomato soup versus Van Gogh yeah. has had something like 60 million views. And his position was, wow. if even 10% of those conversations have talked about the climate, right, okay. then therefore it's been a success. What's your take on all that? Uh, civil disobedience generally approve. Uh, you know, if you believe in something uh, strongly enough to be casually gluing yourself to a thing or destroying some property that's completely meaningless, I mean... Go for it. Like, who cares? Except the Tories. Um, and I agree that, like, when you get something as viral as, like, tens of millions of views, you're probably going to be um, positively seen by at least some of by those some people, views. Right. I don't want to put a percentage on it, but even 1% of those viewers, if they were like, you know what? Why do people care this much? And then they read about it and they're like, oh, yeah, I care about it a little bit more. That's great. And I don't think Van Gogh cares. I hadn't asked him personally, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially because it doesn't even get affected because most artworks nowadays are a bit more protected. uh, protected. And those that aren't, I don't understand why. (laughs) Artworks have been getting destroyed for decades. Centuries. By all types of people. (laughs) And still all these these galleries are just like, "Ah, glass. Nah, it ruins the viewer experience. <laughs> yeah, right. So here's here's my... <laughs> if you want something safe, uh, yeah, big glasses. So they did, they did a great job. Right. Here's my take on it because okay. I sympathise with the protesters because as the, the chap on the radio this morning was making the point, he said, look, we could march mm-hmm. through Glasgow and London Yeah. and who would care? What coverage would, care? would we no get? Would Nothing. Yeah. And he's right, they wouldn't. He is. And yeah, so you got to do something a bit Noticeable, yeah. So they've taken to okay. We need to do something that's got to that's going to get some attention. And throwing soup right. on a protected bit of artwork, fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. What it risks though, and this was you the know point. What? Even if it wasn't protected, go for it. Okay, destroy the artwork. Okay, but this was this was the point was, that we're making, made. <laughs> which was or the point I made, which was, is this just further alienating regular people? Because and and what what's it doing in terms of government action? You know the the final question was: Can you show how much you have affected government policy no. through these actions? And the answer is: Well, well, nothing at the moment. You can't ever. You can't ever because it is the, they're 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 trying to make people care, not the government care, and they're hoping that by making people care, they will vote for the right people in government. Okay. You can't prove why people started voting for specific parties and if it's because of soup or not, unless we ask everybody who they're voting for and why, which we're not allowed to do. You know? Well, we're kind of are allowed to do, so but when, not really. But when you see the reaction and the very angry reaction that people had to Van Gogh being tomatoed, then 
how is that helping people to your cause? Because, you know, it wasn't just Tories who didn't like it. There were lots of people I saw who didn't like it and thought it was silly or thought it was, uh, yeah, I don't know, if, a, a failure of, of proper protest. If you're someone who watches two youngsters throw soup on a painting and then goes, all right, I'm not voting for any economically friendly parties ever again, I'm going to go ahead and say you probably weren't going to be voting for any economically friendly, sorry, okay. environmentally friendly parties ever again. And economics, I guess. You're not going to lose anybody who was on your side by doing this. Anybody who believes in the environmental cause... That's true. ...who thinks that throwing soup at a painting is stupid isn't going to change your mind because you threw soup on a painting, you know? Uh, and the people who... who uh, there's other people who won't change their minds. The people who are angry and they already vote against the environment because people do that. They're not going to change their mind, but you're just going to get more people thinking about all of this. And... There are different groups that do good and bad jobs. I think that right. as far as virality goes, this one was great. I don't know how effective a message it spreads. Certainly. Uh, but they did get their, their slogan on, Just Stop Oil, and that is a good thing. Fair enough. That, that phrase being in people's brains is a good thing. However... Awareness. There is evidence that, sh- that shows that uh, a lot of these groups that are a little, more, a little more adventurous and a little bit less strategic... They do actually get funded by people who want to be making a, a joke out of the environmentalist movement so that people won't take it seriously and so that we'll all be a bit less caring about it all. And it, it must work because bad, because bad people put money towards it. So there has to be a balance. Sure. But I am going to say that I think chucking soup at a painting and getting viral off of it is a pretty good job, even if a lot of people are upset. I think in 20 years' time, most people have, will have forgotten about the soup. And if they haven't, it's just proof that it worked. Okay. It can't go wrong. Well, <laughs> yeah, I would agree to an extent because they are hamstrung by the fact that the government, frankly, will not do anything. They could have thrown tomato soup of over the entirety of the House of Commons. Well, no, the government does stuff. Yeah. And nothing would have shifted one iota. And when it comes to a choice of... No, the shift is elsewhere. Do you want us to march or protest or, or like do a demonstration? Well, no, because that, that never gets any sort of coverage and never does anything. Yeah. Because it's just people who already support your cause. Or yeah. do you want to do something that gets attention? And even if it's a tiny proportion of people who see it and think, you know what? Yeah, I agree with that. Then that's job done. Because ultimately, what choice do they have? Yeah. That's that's my point. If they want to force people to talk about something or to get the conversation going, to get their brand out there of Just Stop Oil, then that is the solution. It's to do something which, f- frankly, is inoffensive. because Completely harmless. It's, it's harmless. Okay, it might have annoyed some people to say, oh, that was silly. Who cares? It meant that they got the coverage, they got people talking about it, and here we are discussing the very thing on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, so it's a win. However, there is government, in the UK especially, there is government response to protest. It is just not what we would want. Uh, the government is continuously trying to squash protest and trying to make it more difficult for you to, to state anything that is anti the government in any form of protest. Also true. Uh, the, la- the last thing I heard, I think it was just before Braverman was out the door, was chatting about like preemptively tagging people, basically. I did see this, yeah. If they suspect that you're going to protest, then you can get tagged so your movements can get monitored. So we're looking at that as the government response to these things. So they are listening. They're just having the wrong answers. Um, but, but again, it's the thing to remember is that we're not trying to influence anyone in government, really. We all know where they stand, and they're not going to change their mind because of some soup. Yep. It is influencing future voters. 
on who to vote for. So my my question would be, could they do some other sorts of civil disobedience that would target the kind of people that like what? may get more support from, let's say, normal people in the UK? For example, and this is a really extreme example, yeah? the suffragettes in the early 20th century, when women Ooh. didn't get the vote, yes. would go to the horse races. And the woman... Emily Parkhurst, who was yes, killed, I believe in that because she got what run over by a horse. Yeah, well, yeah, she she got hit by a horse. That sort of that sort of event, which obviously people at the time were thinking, oh, that's terrible. That's how dare they interrupt the horse racing? Yeah, they, people would still but say that. That was the start of what then got women the vote. So, yeah. is there something along maybe less deadly lines that they could do rather than something which perhaps upsets people? I'd say that most rich people gatherings are do still attract protests of different kind. We saw the flags being flown at the conservative, uh, whatever. Recently, their little, their little. Well, Greenpeace protested Miss Truss's speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's, it's a similar kind of protest. You're going to where they are and you're obstructing them. That is valid. I don't think it's ever stopped. Granted, nobody's. Get died by getting hit by a horse in the last like 20 years doing protests but yeah yeah those things are also valid i just think that all of it is valid even the ones that are like really annoying like blocking roads completely valid um it is of course better to be more strategic about it and annoy the right people but it's better to do it than to not uh i say it as i don't do it um and if you can like Instead of gluing yourself to an electric train, glue yourself to the gates of some evil company. Yeah, great. But, you know, gluing yourself to the electric train, even though it feels counterproductive, like, good move, good attempt, nice try. I'm still proud of you. And it's it's also... But they have to be careful. They do have to be careful. Okay. I do agree. It's also against the backdrop of people have been, you know, signing petitions for decades. And what has it done? Nothing. What do, yeah, what do positions do? What, and nothing works except civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well... It's a bit of a broader term, but if you look at most work reform, most work reform uh, for workers comes from people going on strike basically forever. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things do change based off who, which parties we vote for, uh, but that is really difficult to do in a first-past-the-post system. So until we've got a better system for voting, keep on the civil disobedience. Even when we've got a good system for voting, okay, Keep it on. It's 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 very important to show that we care enough as a population to kind of be like we're going to be annoyed, annoying you about this. Not just like sitting at home drinking tea angrily. We're going to be active. The bigger point in all of this is that ultimately these protesters, whether you like them or not, are going to be on the right side of history. Mm. That's a, that is a fact because if we look at and I saw Sir David Attenborough did another video this week. Oh, yeah. He made the point that within something like ten, maybe fifteen years, we will have something like a billion people who will, if they stay where they are, going to be underwater. Yeah. In the likes of Pakistan, Bangladesh, places which in Britain were going to be basically unaffected. Winters will be worse. People will die. Summers will be worse. People will die. But on the scale of billions of people in Pakistan who we don't really care about, yeah, exactly. And that's why I believe there is still a lot of apathy against protesters. That being said, my my overall thought: they got the spotlight they were looking for, but to me, they missed the message. What was their, you know, what would they want people to do other than to say just stop oil? Because again, I'm sure most of us are like, yeah, that, that's a good message. Right. But what do you, 
now what? Yeah, but that's the point of these messages that they're very small and they let you project your own opinions onto them. It's 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 something that conservatives are very good at doing, picking three word slogans that people kind of just attach themselves to. Um, so just stop oil sounds like a pretty good one to me because if you care a lot and you agree with them, you're like, oh, what does that mean to me? How do I just stop oil? And then oh, you might right. actually think about it. But what it. about? Well, what about like getting stuck in traffic because they've glued themselves to a road? How's that helping how people? How many of you are actually stuck in the traffic compared to how many people hear about it and hear about the message and get it implanted right, right. in their head? And, and the, again, the point that this interviewee was making this morning was, uh, as the, the journalist said, oh, I saw some cleaners having to clean the orange paint off the windows of Harrods. Exactly, do you, yeah. Do you, not, do you not feel sorry for them? And, and he said, well, yeah, I do. he said, I'm sorry, I do empathise with him, but I empathise more yeah. with the 50 million people who are going to be X, Y, and Z within five years if we keep yeah. going the rate we're going. And, and, and at that point, as you say, they are going to be in years and decades to come, the ones that we look back on and say, well, yeah, we, we probably should have done something. And we didn't. Yeah. We just talked about it. Yeah. Or didn't even talk about it, which a lot of people do. We, well, we, indeed. we like to live a comfortable life where we, where we don't have to engage with the discomforting thoughts of the future being horrible for a lot of people, but maybe livable for us. And how much guilt that's going to feel like when we're the ones that are not quite dying, suffering a wee bit, but watching the rest of the world suffer even more. Okay. It would be nice not to think about it. I get it. And yeah, I feel sorry for the cleaners that had to clean up soup or the cleaners that had to clean up paint or everyone who's stuck in traffic in a traffic jam and not getting to do their job for the day. Or or even I feel sorry for, for people stuck in ambulances, stuck in traffic jams that are caused by these protests. But at the same time, it's still a measurement of how much does this small, tiny percentage of people compare to the the huge amounts of suffering that they're trying to spread the message about. Because that suffering is as real as the traffic jam. And climate change is bigger than public opinion. Yeah. And you know what? If we don't want any more protests blocking streets for stopping oil, just stop oils. <laughs> you know, government, <laughs> if you want people to stop being stuck in traffic jams, start acting. Okay. Let's see what else. See what else is happening in the news, shall we? Let's talk about Donald Trump. Because he's now officially been summoned to testify to the U.S. Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th riots, which is almost coming up to two years ago. Oh, gosh. Wow. So this was uh, just in the last few minutes. The document which subpoenas the former president says you were at the center of the first and only effort by any U.S. president to overturn an election. (laughs) You knew this activity was illegal and unconstitutional. Yeah. And if Mr. Trump decides against complying with the subpoena, he will or could face criminal charges. I guess could is being the uh, the operative word there. He's got until November 4th to provide documents to the committee and must appear for testimony on November 14th. So... Mark your calendars, everybody. I am. I'm, to see okay. if he's there. We'll, we'll come back to that one pretty soon, actually. That's not that's not so far away. Yeah, and this, this subpoena comes just hours after Trump's former uh, strategist and pal Steve Bannon was fined and sentenced to four months in prison for contempt of Congress. So he was convicted because he refused to give testimony yeah. or the documents. So that is... You know, this clearly is an impact. And also, uh, Peter Navarro, another Trump aide, he is standing trial for the same charge next month after refusing to cooperate with yep. another subpoena. So there is clearly a precedent for the president. There is. So, like, I actually don't know if he's going to no-show or not. Um, I think he's tried to talk about showing up if they, like, televised it or something. I don't remember that exactly. But um, when it comes to Trump, it, it doesn't really matter what he says until the moment. So we're not really going to have a good idea of what's going on until until Trump just decides whether he's there or not. 
Uh, I kind of hope he doesn't go because I'd like the trouble to be now rather than, I don't know, to, for it to continue being an ethereal sometime, maybe eventually. Because um, like he is getting in, in so many investigations and so many court cases and none of them are resolving and I'm I'm a very impatient person. So, you know, if he could just dodge Congress and then get in trouble for doing that and then still get in trouble for the rest anyway afterwards, that would be nice. Okay, let's stay with the US. The news uh, broke today that defence secretaries of both the US and Russia spoke in a phone call this week, which is the first time they've had contact since May. Wow. This uh, this report says that the situation in Ukraine was discussed, but rather than the last time when the US urged an immediate ceasefire, this time they decided against mentioning it. Uh, This, of course, comes a few weeks after Putin threatened or suggested that he may use uh, nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Yes, another suggestion on top of the other many times he's suggested it, but yes. Indeed, and despite that, most people suspect that the chances of him using those sorts of weapons are are low. But it's Putin, he could do it. Yeah, the last time Biden and Putin spoke was pre-invasion, but this is, uh, it seems like a start. Uh, Yes. It, it it's still I I don't like having optimism about this because I feel like as soon as the war weakens, Putin's out the door, and somebody more crazy will take over and just war even harder. But you know, anytime that leaders of the countries that are on opposing sides or or kind of on opposing sides uh, talk to each other, it's good. And if this dialogue can continue, that's obviously good. Hopefully. The U.S. can lead their their Russian contacts into uh, more peaceful times. Uh, obviously, the most peace comes if Russia just goes like, "All right, guys, we we messed up, we're out," and they just left. But that's not going to happen. Uh, this has been a long time now. Um, but any development is is a good development when it comes to discussions. Staying with global news stories, let's talk about Iran, where protests have continued. The main story this week, though is the Iranian climber Elnaz Rakabi, who previously had apologized for competing in South Korea in a a climbing contest Mm -hmm. without wearing a headscarf. And the news, uh, this is coming from the BBC, uh, says that her apology was forced by the Iranian authorities. It turns out authorities in the country had threatened to take her family home if she refused to make an apologetic statement. And this, of course, is on the back of uh, the protests, demonstrations, which have been sweeping the country after the death of the 22-year-old Masa Amini. And apparently she's now under house arrest. The authorities say she's staying at home because she needs rest. Ah, yes. House arrest or house arrest? Up to you. Wow, terrible. But yeah, um, shortly after she did uh, appear to climb with uh, her hair out, which is a powerful thing to do when, you know, the whole country's protesting. Um, I think, I, I believe the chat was that she was tricked into going to the embassy or something like that um, and then shepherded home. Yep. So it's a lot of manipulation going on. So no surprise that we've seen another athlete, um, you know, being PR'd by their own country to make their country look a bit better. Uh, but nobody believes it. And that's the good thing is that the protest is effective. Nobody believes it you know, any of the apology is legitimate or uncoerced. And hopefully the protest within that country itself will continue on. Um, It is 
it's still violent. There are still people dying and there's still people in danger and that's always horrible. But, you know, freedom. They, got, they deserve it. Okay, let's move it back to Scotland. Let's talk about COVID. There has been a sharp rise oh. in the last week in the number of infections wow. and deaths. So this means that now we're up to one in 35 of us have uh, had the virus in the last week. I have been pinged twice in the last seven days wow. by people, one of which was my colleague and another one was someone I worked with who then caught COVID about two days after I saw them. Right. So that's right. certainly happening. Yes. And there have been more deaths this week than at any other point over the last three months. Okay. So that seems to be just something to be aware of. Yes, it is good to be aware of COVID on the increase. I think it was expected coming into winter that COVID would make a, a comeback again. Uh, but there has been a variant that has led to some of this comeback, not just the colder yeah. winter, kind of everybody's closer together and and stuffier than usual and always more sick kind of comeback. So it's a bad combination. Good to be aware. Maybe if you can, take days to yourself wherever possible for the time being. And, you know, if you haven't been doing that, time to start revisiting that as a policy. It is one thing which I am unaware of, and that is how do hospitalisation rates of COVID compare to, say, the flu? Because, as you say, it is getting noticeably colder in this country. And uh, the latest stats here show over 900 people are currently in hospital with COVID. Mm, I don't mm -hmm. know how that compares to, say, people, as I mentioned, with the flu. And is this then just <laughs> without uh, wanting to sound like the kind of... Um, Right. Fear mongers. No, what's the opposite of that? People who are just dismissing it. I don't want to sound dismissive, but are, have we got to a stage where this is just now a, uh, hey, come get your flu shot, hey, come get your COVID jab every December? I mean, I or think. October. Well, we're not quite at the point of getting the COVID one every year because I've not been offered it yet, and I usually would have known by now. Um, but I do know that there is another booster shot getting, getting uh, sent out, or, well, getting offers to people who are vulnerable and of, be over a certain age or of a certain amount of general unwellness. Um, I don't know how I don't know how the stats compare right now between COVID and the flu itself. Um, I, I, I still think COVID is obviously the bigger threat, the bigger risk, and uh, that since it is something that leads to an, a greater number of deaths per case and a greater number of hospitalizations per case, it is going to matter until we kind of level it off with with the flu but I do I, yeah it's still the case that it's just going to become a thing where eventually we'll have a version of COVID apparently this is according to not me because I'm not an expert eventually we'll have a version of COVID that is more just in line with every it's going to be a COVID season and a flu season and we'll get shots for both I mean, might even call them them both the flu because we're lazy Let's uh, talk two more items, then we're going to wrap up. Oh, sure. Kanye West. Oh, Kanye. Oh, dear. Back in the news. Now, first of all, I want to talk about... Yes. For those of you who missed it, uh, about 10 days ago, Kanye West tweeted some... Right. ...deeply anti-Semitic uh, sentiments. Yes. Yes. Talked um, about things which you can look up if you really want to. And that was then met with varying degrees of condemnation, depending on what side of the aisle you fall on. Mm -hmm. That was then followed up by him announcing that he was going to buy Parler, which is the right wing Twitter, basically, where it's yeah the free speech the free speech platform right, uncancelable that, that has just never been successful because he was banned from Twitter and Instagram. 
And so he decided he was going to yes. buy that. Now, to compare uh, the two platforms, Twitter in the last month has had about 9 million downloads. Parler had about 90,000. Yes. So this is a very small pond he'd be playing in. But that news that he was buying Parler was then met with, um, with, with, expe- with excitement, with joy. Was it? Well, by people who like Parler, yes. Well, I guess Parler themselves are very excited about it because they emailed all their VIPs but forgot to blind CC it all so all the VIPs <laughs> find out who all the VIPs were. Nice. Oh, I've missed that. Yeah. Um, no, Parler have just taken advantage of a mentally unwell rich person who happens to kind of align with their political views right now. And it's a shame uh, yeah, for Kanye, yeah. but he is also being an evil person. So I don't really feel too much sympathy. He needs help. He's not taking help, and instead he's doing uh, a whole lot of quite problematic things. Uh, He's started his own, like, Kanye Christian school to top it all off as well. Um, And I don't don't know what to make of it anymore. Um, I hope that he can be kind of led to a place that will help him. I don't quite know who has the power to do that for someone as, as, as wealthy and influential as Kanye, but obviously he needs meds, rehab, he needs... Uh, to be taught how to handle his mental health. Um, otherwise, he's going to keep going down this 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 road of becoming more and more publicly unstable, no matter how privately unstable he's been for, for a long time, and probably ruining his finances if he is this easy to take advantage of. Because I bet you this was not Kanye's idea. I bet you he was approached by the parlor dudes uh, to be like, hey, buy our company. It's, uh, you'll make it a success, you know? Okay, let's uh, finish up. Let's talk about this first trailer for All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Here's a clip. Wieder mehr als 40.000 Tote allein in den letzten Wochen. Es ist vorbei. Im Namen der Menschlichkeit. Okay, James, this sounded to me like a remake of something, but I might be totally wrong. Is it? Well, there's a book. Okay. And I think the book's been adapted to film before. <laughs> what did you think of the trailer? Not recently. The trailer looks great. Like, for yeah. like some Netflix war film, the production value was spot on for, for the trailer. Um, I, to an impressive degree, because we've seen the new studio films, and we've seen new studio TV, and very rarely right. is it kind of hard to tell that it's new studio. There's a there's a hint of new studio there. Mm-hmm. Um some of Netflix's films have escaped that, the likes of Roma and stuff like that, the Oscar, the Oscar yeah, bait yeah. ones. And, and this one clearly falls into that category of they've put a lot of effort in, they've given uh, a lot of money and a lot of freedom to make a good thing. And I imagine this is one of those things that would be absolutely worth seeing uh, in the big screen with all the sound and all of that, if possible, because it looks spectacular and it looks like it's going to make you sad for a long time. To me, this is a clear indicator that Netflix knows what it wants to push for award season, gives it preferential treatment, all the best (laughs) stuff, probably loads of focus groups, all the money, because they know that if they can get a shiny award now and again, it justifies the making of further films. So that, to me, is embodied in, as as you say, looks like a really well-made film. It's too early to prejudge it, but from that opening trailer... I want to see it. I think there's been screenings and this and people are coming out with excellent reviews. I am pretty sure everyone who has seen it because it is around the corner. Uh, they're they're saying it is as good as it looks. And to go see it and to make sure you see it in cinemas, not on your little screens. I'm going to watch it on my little screen, but 
I'll, I'll I'll imagine a big screen when I'm when I am there and try and imagine the spectacle. I guess. Okay. Have you finished anything this week in terms of TV shows or movies? Because I again haven't I finished the Rings of Power. Right. So I would like to wait because <laughs> I am one episode away. Although I do have, oh, I've yet to watch okay. it because I'm I'm just behind. But I would like to have a full discussion about that because I have yes. very strong feelings about this show. Me too. And as you may be able to tell, not not exactly positive. Yeah. Which I'm very disappointed right. about. Right. Yeah, one more episode, Carl. Maybe it will, maybe it will come mm. swinging and you'll be convinced that it was good all along. <laughs> well, is that where you are? Is that how you feel? I'm, I'm not saying anything. Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, anything else to add? I feel like we've uh, we've come to the end of the show. I watched an anime film. Okay, uh, what have you watched? There's, a, there's an anime called Jujutsu Kaisen that I actually watched but forgot wow. to review. And it's a very good anime. Um, all right. It's like a... It's like a actiony one. Okay. A bunch of high schoolers killing a bunch of devils and demons and stuff. It's very cool. Wow. Um, and it's it's a very well done anime itself. High production value, excellent animation, with legitimately good characters, even the female ones. Hey. Um, which you know that. can be rare in certain media. And then they made a film, like a prequel film. Everyone knew it was a prequel film, introducing a character who was going to become key in the future of this of the series to kind of give them a backstory. Nice. And the film was also very good, very high production value. The action was very well done and generally a strong entry into the anime establishment. Very nice. Well, I have a day off uh, next week on Tuesday. Wow. Are you so watch I'm all going of to Kaisen, including the film. <laughs> I'm actually going to go watch some movies, so I've got something to review because there's been two episodes in a row. I've had nothing to review because I've just been stupidly busy. But yeah, day off next I week. Watched, I also watched that film that I forgot what the name of it is. It's that one from that the one. Stephen King book where there's that scary room in a hotel and it's like really not that bad. Um, the Shining? No, no. One single scary room. 16 or whatever. 16, 12, 12, 16. I don't okay. know. 13, 13, 17. 23, 19. Uh, it's a bunch of numbers. It's a completely mediocre film. 420-69. And I laughed so many times. Okay. It's supposed to be hor- horrific. It's supposed to be like psychologically terrifying. Yeah. It's supposed to be scary, but yeah. it is just quite funny. It really is just quite funny. Uh. I jumped once. Really near the end of the film, it actually scared me because it was really loud all of a sudden. <laughs> and I got a fright because it was a very loud moment. Grim. Oh, well. But funny. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Hey. If that hasn't sold you, I don't know what will. Okay. Well, on that note, dear listener, let's wrap up the show. <laughs> Wait, he better be in it. I don't actually remember. <laughs> you can listen uh, to our show on Spotify. Perhaps you are. Or any other. Wherever you get your podcasts, as I often hear in adverts. Do you like cars? If you like cars, please like respond to what I said at the start. Please do. I was being... I was trying very hard to to be very strong-willed and sure of myself. But honestly, if you want a car, you can have it. It just you have been lied to a little bit, but it's not that bad of a problem, really. Okay, ceaseoperate at gmail.com. I would love to hear some sort of riposte to the car. Monologue. Do you just wish you could drive on a racetrack at all times? You can. Racetracks actually let you hey. rent cars. <laughs> or at ceaseoperate on Twitter. James, thank you for this. I've enjoyed the chat. Lots of. Thorough discussion, which is great. Yeah. I will have lots of lots of happier news. Zelda's been jumping in for the last couple of minutes. I hope it's I coming d- through. I did hear Zelda, yeah. I, lots of yeah. Uh, happier reviews and entertainment stuff we can talk about next time. Yeah. Okay, right. You take care. See you later, Liz Truss. Uh, I'm surprised how few episodes you stood for. Oh, shortest reigning podcast like, two? Prime Minister ever. 
Did we do two? Three? Two, I think it was maybe two. Wow. Or uh, two or three. We didn't oh, well. even talk about that they're going to take one week to get the new PM this time instead of a whole summer. Yeah. That's insane. Why couldn't they do that last time? Oh, well. One to discuss next time where we will have a new PM. Bye, James. Hopefully, yeah. Bye. Bye, Liz. Oh, and other Liz. Bye.